When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Live in the studio, right here, sitting across from me, we have Halsey. Hey. Hey, Halsey. How are you doing? Do you prefer Ashley, or would I would I call you? It's all synonymous at this yeah. point. The cool thing about the name Halsey is, is, is that it's an anagram of the name Ashley, and uh, I think there was like a study done a couple of years ago by either Stanford or Harvard or someone that says that the human brain only interprets words as a combination of letters, not necessarily in the order that they're in. <laughs> so I think Ash actually the name Ashley and the name Halsey elicits the same response in your brain because it's the same letters rearranged. Isn't that weird? That uh, I, you've just gone beyond my, I can't even understand <laughs> that, but it, so- okay. it sounds like it might be right. So I'm going to yeah. go with that. Okay, cool. Um, not much is known about it yet, but you just announced uh, your, your new album. I did. I did. I have a, a record coming out in June called Hopeless Fountain Kingdom. I keep wanting to say Tragic Fountain Kingdom because of the No tragic Doubt album. but So I'm glad you said it. Yes, Hopeless Fountain Kingdom. Yep. And... It really means something. It's part of a concept, right? Yeah, it is. The whole the record is a pretty elaborate concept, actually. And the Hopeless Fountain Kingdom is um, it's a place. It's a it's a purgatory that exists in between Earth and Hell. Mm. And it's a it's uh, kind of like Lost. It's a it's a place where uh, <laughs> people who aren't good enough to go to heaven but aren't bad enough to Hell. Mm. It's where they're they're trapped. And the record is about um, two people born of the Hopeless Fountain Kingdom. Everyone else that's there is there because they committed something awful in their previous life. But there's two two children who were born of the Hopeless Fountain Kingdom. And mm. um, they have a destiny that awaits them that you kind of hear more about as the concept unravels itself throughout the record. And how did this like sort of come to you? Like what was the... And did you have songs written before the concept came or, or did the, con- you know, how does that kind of work? Well, most of my like dedicated fan base knows that I've kind of been planting clues about this record since mm. 2014. Um, so if you like look back through my Twitter or my Tumblr, um, there's like clues and hints and references about this record that date back to up to three years. And when we closed our Madison Square Garden show, we closed it with this crazy interstitial video that said, you can find me in the kingdom. Mm. Um which was the whole, you know, transfer. I write, I write concept records, and each of my records is about a place. I think because, I think I write a lot about, um, I write a lot about places because I, I, f- I feel trapped. I think very often, and that reveals itself in my writing. And my first record was an EP called Room Ninety Three. Yeah, that was about this this parallel universe hotel room where you were forced to repeat the same shitty relationship over and over and over again in a <laughs> sterile environment. And so the place that exists. That hotel room exists within a place called the Badlands, which is my debut album name. And the Badlands is a post-apocalyptic society where the people are trapped in this city surrounded by a desert that forbids them from escaping, um, which is kind of representative of like a mental space. You know what I mean? Being trapped somewhere and not wanting to fight through the desert to have to escape it. Um, and the Badlands is um, is the mortal the mortal realm that exists above the Hobo's Fountain Kingdom. Um 
So I can only write three albums pretty much. I'm done now. Unless <laughs> I go to outer space, I have to stop making music. Well, you answer my question because it's basically, it is, it's in continuity with the other, yeah. with the other two things. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Is, so it it's, is. A, it's sort of, a, it's the, the Halsey uh, cinematic universe. Yeah, basically. Definitely. Yeah. I was a big comic book kid growing up. I was uh-huh. a big Marvel nerd. Um, and I still am. I've been collecting comics since I was, since I was young. I have some really great, like silver, silver age comics and stuff. Huh. And, um, so the idea of having like a, the the idea of a concept, the idea of a universe, and and you know origin stories and interconnecting characters has always really really appealed to me, um, which is why I think it found its way into my music. So, what was the the process like for this album, both for songwriting and for recording, mm-hmm. and how did it compare to the process, you know, on Badlands, for instance? Well, Badlands was my first record, and I was 19 when I made it, so it was kind of like this coming-of-age album, you know, where it was a little more expository. A lot of the songs on the record were about, like, psychosis, my relationship with myself, and I was kind of experimenting with writing. I'd never written anything but prose before, and I'm writing songs for the first time. I mean, I signed my, I got signed to a record deal off of one song. Right, Ghost, so, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. which um, Sirius actually launched, um, which is really cool. Um, but... Uh, they, uh, they, so, so when I got in the studio making an album, it was really new territory for me. Um, and as I kind of settled into my narrative and settled into this comfortability, I ended my tour in August. And then September, we spent most of the time doing stuff related to Closer, the VMAs, the AMAs, etc. Um, and then uh, I jumped right back in the studio. And it took me about three months or so to write that record and finish it. I wrote every song on the album. I executive produced the album, which was new territory for me as well. Do you, you have like single single writing credit on, on every song, or um, some of the songs I have single writing credit on. Some of the songs were like creative collaborations in the sense of like friends of mine that I wanted to contribute, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily me needing a topliner. Just people I was in the studio with, and we were like, "Hey, this could be cool." Um, some some friends of some friends of mine. I can't say who, but right. you know, there's some. Some friends of mine, some past tour mates of mine, um, but I think there's only only um, a couple of songs that actually feature other writers, um, lots of producers, which is cool because we got to collaborate. But the thing that kept it consistent was was me in an executive production role, which yeah. was really exciting. Working with different producers and having to keep them all in the same mentality, it really tested my vision. How well can I elaborate upon what I want? Um, and you know, sound designing and coming up with unique ways to to better execute the concept because Badlands was a really uh, was a was a really uh, a cinematic record in the sense that there was a lot of external sound that wasn't music in the record. Yeah, like, like on um, Drive and stuff. Yeah, yeah, sound effects that create a space, they create an environment. The cool thing about Drive as a record is you know it has all these sounds from within the car. And one of the most interesting moments that I think of my musical career is in Drive, and it's midway through the song, the car door opens and then shuts and the sound filters out and pounds the way that you would hear a song if you were standing outside of a car yeah. and the stereo was playing really loud from within. How did and you then, do that, by the way? <laughs> um, I mean, it was a lot of it was a lot of careful sound design. Yeah. I had to learn a lot about mixing and a lot about arranging sounds in a, in a, in a manner that created, created space because, you know, depending on how far away or how close you put a sound in a record, it creates a sound that's either expansive and gives you a landscape or uh, a song that's claustrophobic and closes you in like, um, or a song that perpetuates movement. Like a lot of my songs on on the last record, I wanted to feel like you were in a car. Mm. And so a lot of that was about how we made the sound drive and how we made it, not not the song drive, how we made a song (laughs) drive (laughs) drive forward forward, rather. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and it was about, you know, keeping, keeping the sounds, 
interpreting sound almost in a visual way if i want you to feel like there's walls really close all around you i'm gonna put the echo of mm. the sound much shorter than yeah. you know if and if i want you to feel like you're in a in a wide space or in a wide environment the echo is going to be further away yeah it's going to trick your brain into visualizing a wider space so you know <laughs> it's like i have this like corny little pop record but really there's a whole lot of science behind making those songs not a lot of artists that's you know not necessarily the way artists think it's the way producers think yeah. engineers where did that like way of thinking about like sort of soundscapes and stuff come from for you um i think two things one is my love of cinema every time i sit down to write a record i'm essentially scoring a movie yeah um i always want my albums to feel like you're watching a movie with your back to the screen um which is which is really important to me but also just comes from me being a control freak i didn't know any better when i first started i didn't know that other people were supposed to do everything for <laughs> me um so i just wanted to learn and i wanted to know more and you know and i hate to i hate to bring this into the conversation but being a woman in a room with what is most often male producers sure. and male engineers and etc you know I, I wanted to be able to hold my own in conversation and make sure that i wasn't getting like you know screwed over or something some guy saying mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 we'll do it like this <laughs> i want to be able to go uh no we're not and here's why because yeah. they think that i don't know any better you know someone like grimes talks about just like facing a lot of sort of yeah. condescension in, mm -hmm. in the studio like you couldn't possibly know anything technical is that yeah. is that something you've experienced absolutely and she's brilliant i love love her as a female producer I think it's so important to have female females in those roles and you don't see it so often because it's it is such a male male role but um you know it is hard sometimes when someone says like you know oh yeah like oh like they'll turn to like an engineer will turn to someone else in the room and say you know Oh, like I'll quantize that later. All oh, the compression on this vocal, blah, blah, blah. And they'll look at me and be like, oh, don't worry about this. And I'm oh, like, shit. oh, I am worried about this. What are you talking <laughs> about? This is my song. This is my content. Like, you know, and, 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 uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm such a pain in the ass. You know, we get our mixes back and I'm always drilling down to every single detail. Like, you know, change that snare, change that kick. That's too loud. That's over compressed. You know what I mean? And those are, I think, conversations that people wouldn't really expect me to be having in the back of an SUV listening to my record for the first time. Totally. But it's important because, you know, the way, People don't realize that what makes a song good um, is about two things. It's about one, having a good song, obviously. And the other thing is about the way that that song is digested. Mm -hmm. That's why mixing and mastering is so important right now. Because if a song feels uncomfortable compared to another record, your brain is going to register that. And even if you like the song, your brain's still going to say, I don't like this because it rubs wrong. It feels uncomfortable. And so there's a way of, of mixing of, of mixing these records, for me particularly, that, that we've done to, for my sound, that's made them better digestible for the audience. Because a record can be genius and brilliant, but if you can't swallow it, Right, you know, then it's if it rubs you the wrong way, then you're not gonna you're not gonna fall in love with it the way you should. I'm weirdly fascinated with the all the technical details of making records, so I could probably drag you into that conversation. Yeah, and we sorry. Would, we would board we would bore everyone except us and all the producers and engineers listening. Yeah. But but it's like you know, let's get into the tales of the rebirth. But you know, did you go in? with nothing really written and just kind of like bang out the songs or yeah. had you been wow I write day by day I'm like I'm a pretty quick writer I write like one or two songs a day and I'm like self-competitive so like mm. so let's say I do have two days in the studio with a producer if I if I don't write a song the first day I have to write two the next day because I have to beat myself right I'm like really weirdly competitive like that um <laughs> but uh uh, you know, the, the 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 cool thing about writing these albums is that I always come up with a general concept and mm -hmm. then the concept gets smarter as I keep writing uh -huh. subconsciously. Yeah. Because my life starts to my, my life starts to manifest itself within the record. And you know, I when I wrote Badlands, I was like 
I, I came up with the name Badlands and it didn't mean anything to me. I just thought it was cool. And then I started writing this record about a post-apocalyptic universe and about this girl who was trapped in the city where she couldn't escape, but she knew she had to, but she was comfortable there. She was comfortable in the chaos, comfortable in the in the tyranny, and didn't want to have to make it through the desert that surrounded the city to find her solace, to find her escape. And I've been writing this comic book record, this graphic novel record, and then I realized one day I was on tour and I was really depressed. Mm-hmm. And I knew what I had to do to get happy, but I was kind of comfortable being depressed because it's all I knew. Right. And I realized, oh my gosh, this whole thing is a metaphor. Right. <laughs> I'm smarter than I think I am. You know. And the same thing kind of happened with Hopeless Mountain Kingdom, which is the story of these two people being in love. And I had a really long-term relationship that was deteriorating the whole time I was writing the record. And by some sort of stars aligning, you know, synchronicity, my relationship, I put the, the seal on that relationship and fully fully purged myself of those the feelings for that person and truly kind of like killed them off in a weird way huh at the same time as i finished my record wow and it was, it was weird how those synchronicities happen and how little bits of my record that i wrote subconsciously upon reflecting on this relationship i realized the meaning that they held and it made the record so much substantially have more dignity and more meaning and far more complex and i didn't even realize i was doing it that was yeah. my subconscious driving the metaphors i was using driving you know the concepts that i was i was coming up with and then when the whole thing was said and done it was like i wrote this really really like kind of cocky but but you know confused and 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 this this song this this record with so much resolution and so much maturity um coming out of this relationship and coming into being confident and fighting away this you know this person who essentially made me feel like i killed off a version of myself you know you know Mm. you know sometimes you're in a relationship for so long and and you you become a different person you lose yourself because you change yourself for that that person and i realized as I was writing the record, I was obsessed with Romeo and Juliet. Mm. I couldn't figure out why. I was obsessed with Romeo and Juliet. My relationship ended, and I realized I was obsessed with Romeo and Juliet the whole time subconsciously because I was in a relationship where I felt like I had killed off a version of myself, huh. and that person had felt like they'd killed off a version of herself just so we can make our love work. Mm. So that dual suicide metaphorically reflected into my relationship, and at the end of the whole thing, I went, that's why I was obsessed with Romeo and Juliet this whole time because I felt like I had... I felt like I was I was killing myself for this person. Yeah, you know, and it, and, it, and it was crazy to to watch that unravel and reveal itself to me. That catharsis. That's the whole reason you make a record. Yeah, is to figure stuff out about yourself. You know, and now I'm just giving it to the world. <laughs> this is my own catharsis. But here you go. You know. Yeah, it's so you, it's almost like you need a therapist to take you through your own records to figure out what you're, what you're actually saying emotionally. Oh yeah, is that is that actually a part of the process? Or? I mean, kind of. <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised how often I find myself telling my telling my real life therapist, yeah. like, "Yes, yeah, so I wrote this song, and I'm kind of worried about myself now because I wrote this whole thing and and uh, and whatever." But you know, there's so many there's so many little little synchronicities, and once everyone gets their hands on this on this record, I think they're going to be really intrigued to find something that's it's kind of urban it's kind of renaissance it's kind of it's a pop record truly um which 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 renaissance are we referring to here the like, renaissance the renaissance like, okay it's it's kind of got this baroque element okay just you know check, what I yeah, mean? Okay. that motivates this romeo and juliet concept this, right. this baroque <laughs> classical element right were you writing songs between badlands and this and this process no oh that's interesting yeah huh. i wasn't i uh i i'm a i'm a purger 
I like bottle everything up <laughs> and then I purge it all out of me. Uh-huh. And that's why I write so quickly. It's, right. it's like I'm vomiting like months of, of psychoanalysis. That's what I'm gonna say the next time I'm procrastinating on a story is I'm not procrastinating, I'm waiting to, to purge to the purge, story. Yeah. Which I actually think there is some, some truth to. Oh yeah. Did, did you ever worry though that, that you maybe had writer's block or anything? Like like every day. Yeah, okay. Every day. Yeah. But you know the cool thing about the way this record planned out is and Badlands was the same and just with Hope Us Around Kingdom the songs almost appear on the record in chronological chronological order of how I wrote them. Wow. So it was like the story, you know, unraveling itself, this narrative. And the first song on the record is the first song I wrote when I got back in the studio. And it's this, it's essentially a prologue. Mm-hmm. The first song on this, well, there, there is a prologue, but there's also a song that serves as a prologue where it tells you, hey, the relationship, it didn't work out. <laughs> and then I start over again and tell you what happened in the right. same way in Romeo and Juliet where they say, guess what? Uh, pro tip, they kill themselves. You know <laughs> what I mean? Which is kind of how it goes. Um, but I realized that I was writing this like this 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 prologue, this, yeah. this choir prologue. And as soon as I had written that, I was like, I'm ready to go. I'm mm. ready to write now. So you're listening to Rolling Stone music now. We're here with Halsey who's telling us some really fascinating stuff about her next album. And we'll be back in just a minute with more. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So we were we were talking about hopeless fountain kingdom. Yeah. Um. Th- so the the those three words. Yeah. Uh, how did those three words kind of come to you? It's a phrase that someone I someone I know and someone I love used to used to repeat to me very often. And a um a really creative individual, another artist that I know, um, a kid named Zach Merritt, um, that I grew up with, um who who came into my life at a really transitionary point for me, which was when I was 17 years old. I talk about being 17 a lot, and I have a tattooed on my fingers because it was such a, a mm. poignant time in my life. And um, he was he was around for that and was kind of a catalyst for some of these like, coming-of-age moments I had. And Hobos Mountain Kingdom was something he talked about um, really often. So, you know, with his permission, I kind of transformed it into my into my own, into our own, I guess, in a, in a weird way, concept. Um, and... Uh, you know, the Hopeless Found Kingdom, it has so many different meanings. I think it means something different to everybody else. But for me, it's just kind of like um, the Hopeless Fountain Kingdom. It elicits, you know, images of youthfulness, of of etherealness, of eternity. But there's also kind of something uh, pessimistic or cynical about it. This idea of something that's hopeless. Um, but, you know, then the optimism of a kingdom. The idea yeah. of people that are a part of the same, the same, they're, cut from the same cloth as you and you and you can rule over them with you know these emotions and you know fountains always like i said elicit this this concept of perpetuating you know they're constantly flowing this there's a movement so the the words to me i wouldn't call it hopeless i wouldn't call it kingdom i wouldn't call it fountain it was hopeless fountain kingdom and it's a place and it exists for everyone everyone has a hopeless fountain kingdom um and that's uh that's that's how it kind of served as as the the premise for this purgatory type record that I that I wrote this purgatory of love. Um, there's one line on the record that I'll give away that 
um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm giving away already, but um, there's a resolve that says, I hope hopeless is just a state of mind, and mm. I hope hopeless changes over time. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like the resolution is, um, I hope hopeless is just a state of mind. I hope this isn't, I'm not damned here. This is not a damnation, this purgatory. I hope this is just, this is something, you know, that's, that's where the closure is in the records. There's, there's a positive moving on from this like relationship that literally killed me. It's like not, well, not literally in the, figuratively killed me um, i'm a millennial i gotta be careful about how i use the word literally yeah that was that was that was among the worst uses of yeah, that was a super millennial moment of me i apologize um but uh yeah you know uh there's there's optimism there's hopeless is uh, you know I, i'm told that hopeless is a place but yeah. i'm hoping it's just a state of mind yeah that's a good line and, and i mean did you does that reflect your feelings recently in, in that relationship? I mean, would, was, did it get, yeah. get yeah, hopeless? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I went through like a really tough time afterwards. And you know, when I sat down to write this record, especially I, w- I pride myself on being someone who's like really self-reflective and really self-aware to the point of a flaw, you know, really self-critical mm-hmm. um, and being, being an artist, everyone is, you know, like I manifest every, every, Every cycle, every two years, I manifest myself into a little jewel case box that you can sell for fourteen ninety nine at Target, and I give it to the whole world and go, "Here's me." And the world goes, "Well, you're either good or bad. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Metacritic, whatever it is. Like, you know, I'm I'm manifesting my experiences and my emotions and my identifiers into this tangible thing, and then the world gets to decide if it's good or bad or not. You know what I mean? And so you have to be self aware to be an artist because yeah. you have to be able to to reflect and to manifest all those things, but um, you know, I uh, I think I forgot the question. What was the question? I forgot it too. But okay. we were just talking. I think I, I was just saying, like, you know, I definitely have mo- come to a come oh, to. Oh, about a, hopelessness. Yeah, yeah, I sat yeah. down. I sat down to write this record and was like, I have no idea who I am. How am I going to write an album? Wow. And so I had to go back and find that girl that I was when I wrote Badlands, and I was vindicated when I was strong, when I was this, you know, this powerful. I wrote this female record, this like powerful. I had way more angst than I knew what to do with when I was 19. Yeah. Um, and now I'm 22 and I, I had, I was like, who am I? What am I? What, yeah. Who am I? What is this? I looked in the mirror and you know, my hair's different. My clothes are different. I live in a different state. I have a new lifestyle, a new everything. I just b- broke up with this guy who was my everything for three years, you know? Mm. And I had to sit there and go, so when I wake up in the morning and I get dressed and he's not sitting at the foot of my bed, what do I wear? Wow. When I'm ordering food and he, I'm not you know, thinking about what he wants, what do I like to eat? What music do I put on in the car when he's not sitting next to me? Who am I when I'm not considering all these things about him all the time? Because I need to figure out who that person is because I need to write an album about her. Right. And I can't write an album about him. So I need which, to write an album about her. So what did you do for, or did you figure out who that is by writing the album? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what yeah. I did. And that's why I don't care if anyone likes this record or not, <laughs> because I needed it to, 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 to figure out who I am. You know, this record is a, is a, was a, as all albums I think are, um, it was, it was a therapeutic process. Um, when you can, when you can listen to yourself in an MP3 file, you know, you can go, Oh, that's me. And, yeah. and if you don't like it, you got to go back and fix it. And that's why I'm so happy to have an album where I'm proud of every single song. I'm proud of every single song on this album. I I have truly found myself in a place of, 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 of genuine pride and, and genuine excitement about the artist that I, I am becoming. Um, and all I can ever ask is that I'm constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one thing I think I've gotten a lot better at 
since my first album is 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 the, is the take it or leave it mentality. It's like some people aren't gonna like this album, and that's okay because I just I didn't write it for everyone to like it. Um, I wrote it because I if I didn't write it, I would still be that girl who didn't know who she was. Hmm. Um, and so this was this was you know some sort of vindication, some sort of closure for me. Um, and if other people can find that vindication and that closure vicariously through listening to my record, then hopefully I'm helping someone who was in a similar position as me and needs to regain their identity and regain control of themselves and fall back in love with themselves after letting someone else take control of that for so long. I asked this question of, of Lena Dunham, who gets a lot of, who gets way more criticism than you. She, she, she faces a lot of, for, for, for both the creative work and everything mm-hmm. else. How do you keep all those voices that are out there that you are aware of out of your head when you're doing, when you're actually creating? Oh, I close myself off when I'm writing for sure. All my fans have been complaining I haven't been on Twitter as much or I haven't been whatever because I'm a pretty accessible artist. That's my whole, you know, my whole MO is being accessible and not being evasive and, and letting people have access to me and, and, and engaging with my fans in a way that's authentic and, and natural. And I mean, genuinely caring about them, not them saying to me like, hey, Halsey, I love your album. And me being like, thanks, heart emoji. I mean, like a kid messaging me and going, hey, I just came out to my mom and now she wants to kick me out of the house. What do I do? And right. I'm messaging her back you know what I mean? we're having genuine moments of right. true interaction that are hopefully making an impact on their lives and they make an impact on mine every time i talk to them you know you like you i would be foolish to say that there's not times at midnight when a kid dms me and goes hey halsey like you haven't been on twitter in a couple of days are you okay and yeah. first sometimes i get the urge I, I don't but sometimes i get the urge to write them back and go you know what i'm not and like i want to talk to them Right. You know, like they're my friends, and 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 I and I stay away from that because I'm trying to I'm trying to learn how to better contain what is a very large personality of mine. I've I've learned, um, but you know there are times when a kid will message me and be like, "Are you okay? Do you want to talk about it?" And for a split second, I think, "Yeah, I kind of do." Yeah, you know, because I you know I I believe in them. I think they're smart. I think they're intelligent. Um, and 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 I have an overwhelming support. You know, I, there's a lot of people who. who who dislike elements of my personality, elements of my art. But another thing I had to come to learn is like people, people dislike often things they don't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I'm pretty open about having bipolar disorder. Sure. So my reactivity is, is a lot different than other people's. Like I can be really sensitive. I can be really aggressive. I can be really easily triggered. And a lot of people say they want to see, you know, people in the public eye with mental illnesses. But the reality of it is, is that people want to see artists who say they have a mental illness and then act appropriately and behave. And the reality <laughs> of the situation is that yeah. sometimes when you have a mental illness, like you, you, you don't, and sure. you, you have to be, you have to be, you know, bettering yourself. I'm not scapegoating any of that. I'm not saying like, Hey, this bad thing I did is okay. Cause I have a mental illness. I'm just saying like, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I'm extra. That's the word everyone uses is extra. It's like, yeah, sometimes yeah, I, like I am extra. I have a hard time containing myself sometimes in moments of mania and moments of depression. I'm sensitive. I'm overzealous. I'm, you know, aggressive. And, and, and when I, when I act, act on those emotions, um, people shut me down really often and I've had to learn not to take it personally and I've had to learn that it's them not understanding right. what a person with bipolar disorder is like. You know what I mean? Like, they don't understand me. It's not that they dislike me. They think they dislike me. But what they don't know is that they really just don't get me. And, like, I have to be okay with that and I have to just keep doing what I can every day for there to be a better awareness and a better understanding and a better, you know, 
and, and less of a stigma around people because like the way that I see it is like and I'm probably gonna get so much shit for saying this and I don't even care if Kurt Cobain had a Twitter account he would be like, fuck this, fuck that, that sucks, I hate that. Like, you know totally. what I mean? You ever see his journals? That's what I'm saying. If yeah. his journals were on yeah. Twitter, he'd be fucking saying the same shit that fucking, you know, some other people, excuse me, yeah. other people are saying. And everyone would be like, wow, you're so, you're whining. Like, why are you complaining <laughs> about everything? Why do you take criticism so heavily? Why are you like this? And it's like, that's, it's it's an unfortunate part. And I'm, and I'm working on myself. I am. That's all I can do every day is work on myself. But sometimes I, sometimes like, you know, have, being in the public eye and, and, and having the kind of like reaction level that I have makes me, you know, act in a way that, you know, I don't, I don't love, I'm not proud of, but all I can do is try to better myself and, and, and try to, try to learn new methods of being, of being calm and not caring what people think. But like I said, the reason I'm better about criticism now, I think is because I've come to learn that more often than not, it's people who don't understand not people who are being malicious right you know so producers on this record is that something you can talk about yet? yeah of yeah, course yeah, yeah. so so who did, who did you work with uh i worked with greg kirsten yes he's everywhere how does he even have time to do all the stuff he does well, that's not your problem but i'll <laughs> tell you what me yeah. and him we knock out a song in like two hours so yeah. I'm, hopefully i'm making his schedule a little lighter yeah. or giving him room to work with other people who knows um but me and Greg, we fly through stuff. He's a yeah. true musician. He sits down at a piano. I sit down and I start singing in the room. And 30 minutes later, we have a song and it's wow. good to go. Um, or he sits down with a guitar. Or, you know, there's, there's songs on the record that are just live one take. Well, there's just one take recording straight through of me and him looking through the glass at each other. And he's playing piano. And I'm watching him to see when he's sustaining. And he's looking at me to see when my voice is going to grow. And it's like, that's how music should be recorded. You yeah. know, it's not synthetic. Um I worked with Benny Blanco, who is one of my favorite people in the yeah. entire world. He is just brilliant, and he is so nice. He's the best energy ever. Um, he, you know, he's 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 a really really down to earth, cool guy. You know, he's the kind of guy where I text him, I'm like, hey, like I can't come to the studio, I'm not feeling so well, and he's he's sending like Krispy Kreme donuts and like <laughs> fresh pressed juices to my house via Postmates, being like, Aww. I hope you feel better, you know. Um, and I love him for that. And he was he was funny. He was kind of like a like a therapist to me in a weird way. I was as I was writing this record because I'd be like, you know, writing these songs and he's seeing my like emotions through these songs and like sometimes he'd sit me down and be like, "Hey, he was cheating on you. It's okay." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Or he'd yeah. be like, "Get over it." You know? Yeah. And then sometimes I needed that voice in my ear of someone hearing my cry for help in my song and then sending me cuz I don't have like a whole lot of friends. I'm friends with everyone I work with, but I don't have like a whole lot of friends outside of outside of my company. Yeah. Um, and so to have someone like sit me down and be like, I hear what you're saying in your lyrics. Are you good? Right. You know, that was kind of right. Nice. He was really listening and yeah. he saw it was he saw it maybe even before. Yeah. Yeah. And then Ricky Reed, Wallpaper, he's incredible. I had a really great time doing records with him. Um He's, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant pop producer, so it was nice to kind of pull him into a more alternative space, which is where he comes from. He comes from an alternative space, so it was right. nice to get him in that in that headspace again. Um, am I forgetting anyone? Let me think. Um, hmm. uh, no, I don't think I don't wow. think I'm forgetting anyone. And 
so I know that there's a, I, you know, I won't say very much about what I've heard top secret, but I heard some very interesting things uh, mm-hmm. from the record. I, there is a piano ballad yeah. and I guess that's a Greg song probably that, that yeah, I heard. Yeah. It is. I didn't even know who produced it, but I said, this is definitely the closest that, that you've come to like an Adele moment. Not, not that it's purely, yeah. but you know, it, it, it wasn't like insanely out of that area, which is pretty cool for you. Pretty different. Yeah. I mean, I'm an artist that like a lot of my sound has been attributed to this like production style, this like, uh-huh. this like, um, this like experimental pop production and so stripping a song back and having it just be a well-written top line in like a in a an authentic moment in an emotive vocal performance like that's unique for me because I've always said in interviews like all year last year like all I ever said was like oh I, I hate my voice or like I'm not a very talented singer I'm just a writer right and I sing because I, I have to to get my words out there but I've in, I've played over like 300 shows or something crazy like that and you know your my voice is a muscle and I've learned and and, and I've developed and and I think this time around this album there's not going to be any more interviews of me saying that I don't think I can sing because I do think I can sing and I think that my voice has grown a lot and I think that it really shines on this record and I think a lot of people are going to hear this album and go I didn't know she could sing like that yeah which is cool for me I want that you yeah know? you really stretch out with your voice in this record I think there's a little bit more R&B you try a bunch mm-hmm. of different things it's both as you're saying comfort with your actual voice but also like uh, there's a, a style evolution like yeah. especially when you're kind of doing that that quick kind of R&B, almost hip hop thing on yeah. a few songs. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, I just let loose. I may or may not have heard that uh, on, on, on something I heard, but yeah, that is, but that is a thing you kind of do. Yeah, uh, for now. sure. I think I was just coming to a more mature space. This record's just a bit more mature. And one of the things I also, I'm, I'm never going to make the same album once, more, more than once, you know what I mean? Because I, my music is a reflection of what I'm listening to and what I'm doing. And like, you know, Badlands is like this angsty alternative leaning record because I was listening to emo music and I was fresh out of high school and you know whatever <laughs> yeah. else and this record I've been a club goer I've been you know uh, I've been hanging out with a, a, like a, a more street culture kind of mentality I've been traveling quite a bit and I'm I'm a homeowner now I'm I'm a, I'm a woman where yeah. I was a teenager on the last record and you know who knows on the next record I could be um, married I could be um yeah, I could fall in love with. My manager's looking at me saying, "You could have a baby," but let me, hopefully, I don't. Who knows? Um, Halsey's <laughs> third album is going to be a mommy album. Um, <laughs> you didn't hear it from me, folks. Um, but uh, you know, the, I think I joke around all the time. I'm like, you know what? I think my third album is going to be an acoustic album, yeah. or like my third album is going to sound like Ryan Adams. Or like my third album is going to sound like pink or my third album is going to sound like whatever because i don't know what my third album is going to sound like i didn't know what this album was going to sound like i mean when i ended when i ended badlands and started thinking about writing this record i was like i want it to be really ethereal and really soft and really beautiful and i got the exact opposite of that i mean this record is colorful it's bright it's confident Mm. it's 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 emotional. At but, one point um, you were talking about, at least to me, that, that maybe there'd be more guitar on this record. I don't think that necessarily happened, for at least from what I heard. I only heard a little bit. No, there's guitar in almost oh, every okay. song. I think yeah. I heard the, the, the four songs that don't have any guitar on them. No, I mean, I think actually two of the songs you heard do okay, have guitar okay. I, I pretty heavily in okay. them. Yeah. We use we guitars a once, lot on yeah. this record, um, which was important to me. I wanted to put electric guitars back in a mainstream record because um, I don't want to see the guitar become an obsolete instrument. Mm. Um, also, I play guitar. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I want to reintegrate myself as an instrumentalist because um, I think it's an important part of you know. Well, I know you wrote a lot of Badlands on guitar, even if yeah. even if it's not. I mean, sometimes it's on the record, sometimes it's not. Did you again use the guitar as a big songwriting? 
Yes, cool. yes and no. The, most of the guitar was added after as kind of like an emotional, melodic, you know, right. uh, driver in the, in the records. But um, most of these songs I kind of just wrote into the air. Like I would yeah. just be singing in a room. Um, but that's that's a confidence thing. When I used to write, I'd be in the studio with a producer and I'd have to go outside and write the whole song top to bottom. And then the song would have to be done and I'd have to be positive I liked it before I went in and put anything down on the mic. Yeah. And now I'm less self-conscious, so I'll go in and like mess around and like sing whatever. And I'm not so worried about someone being like, yo, she sucks. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, so I've just, I've just become more confident in, in my improvisational ability, I think. You know, obviously Badlands is alternative leaning. I, I kind of think of it as like quote-unquote alternative pop sort mm-hmm. of like do you think of this as more of just a pure pop record or how no. would you kind of okay how no would you it's kind still of- an alternative record i think because you know the word alternative used to mean alternative rock but i think in 2017 the word alternative means alternative pop um there's so many artists that are instrumental to the alternative genre and you know every program director across the country can tell you that whether it's the 1975 or the neighborhood or heim or florence and the machine or me or lord or grimes or banks or you know Lana or anyone like that demographic is 16 to 25 year old kids who are intelligent pop music listeners they grew up on boy bands they grew up on Britney Spears they grew up on pop music but now they're older they have dignity they have a political you know agenda Um, they have an identity and they want to hear music that's pop like they were they were raised on but with a with a with an alternative edge um you know that makes them feel like they have that dignity have that identity and that's why i think the alternative genre has kind of i mean 21 pilots is a great example of that you know it's kind of been monopolized by this 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 pop because we are an obsessive pop culture um generation and so you know putting an alternative edge on that something that's intelligent something that doesn't underestimate or undermine their audience is why i think alternative pop is so popular right now (laughs) (laughs) You you had a, a classic kind of thing, which was um, the collaboration mm. closer, like ended up like being like this enormous radio dominating thing. Oh yeah, more so than anything off your own album, which happens like all the time. It's always the thing yeah. that you don't think is the thing, and then yeah. that becomes the thing. You know, I think it's, it might still be in the top ten. It like will it not is. go away. It will not die. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because Badlands wasn't intended to be a radio record. I mean, I know that the label shipped some of the songs off just to try or hand it and see what happened, but. I didn't write that song, that that record for radio. I'm more than capable of writing radio music, which hopefully will will I'll put my money where my mouth is on the second album. Mm. But uh, you know, Closer was supposed to be this fun collaboration. I don't think the Chainsmokers or I had any idea what kind of you know absolute monster it was going to become. But um, you know, I think that for me, I have a level of comfortability because before Closer even you know came out and impacted at radio i think we sold two million albums so it's like you know i had already kind of established my my cult fan base totally my, my culture um and you know it kind of split off into kids who were kind of like oh that's cool she's doing a pop thing and then like other people who were like i don't really love that she's doing this pop thing but i know her and i love her so i'm happy she's getting success you know what i mean um how did you like? How did that even come to be in the first place? I know the, the closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the Chainsmokers reached out about wanting to do a record. They'd been fans of mine. I know Drew was it was a fan of my record, um, and I had known them from from New York actually, because um, one of my managers, Jason, um, manages another EDM act, and uh, I was like underage going to clubs <laughs> all the time <laughs> and like meeting promoters. And you know, the Chainsmokers were spinning it. I think it was when Selfie had first become a thing right. um and they they were everywhere it was like these kind of like these like fun guys that everyone knew that had this like song that was this like hype machine 
weird internet thing um, that took off at radio unexpectedly. And um, that's where I had met them. So when we talked about doing this collaboration, it was like, we're cut from the same cloth. I mean, we, we were we were in the same rooms, you know, while they were DJing and my friends were DJing for $400 a night. You know, we were like Pacha, you know what I mean? <laughs> like RIP, but... Um, it was a, it was a, it was a different world and a different life, and I know they were kind of cut from the same cloth as me, and I wanted to see what we were capable. And you know, I heard I heard a, an early demo of the record, not what it ended up being once we had gotten our hands on it, but uh, and I and it was one of those songs that I just heard and was like, oh, mm. this is what it sounds like when you know a song is a hit. Yeah, you know what I mean. I had this like crazy feeling. Um, and I'm glad I got to experiment with that with Closer because it kind of fine-tuned my senses about like my new music. I was wondering about um, that. I was wondering about that connection. Like, yeah, no, yeah. for sure. I mean, also, it, it threw me into the threw me into the deep end. I was on TV doing performances, and you know, people, everyone knew the song, and I went from being this kind of like this kind of like underground girl blog girl to being this like you know mainstream mainstream thing but i've kind of tried to keep my head out of it as as best as i can i i do i as as like loud and obnoxious as i am on twitter i am pretty introverted and like i stay away from paparazzi there's not i think there's like probably like 20 paparazzi photos of me in existence because i avoid them at all costs i kind of only go out in la to like clubs and stuff and so i kind of like try to stay away from this like mainstream like tabloid culture to the best of my ability and not because i think i'm above it or anything like that simply just because I'm so anxious and like mm. I just I just and, and 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 I think if you asked me when I was like 16 if you were like Ashley if you ever got famous do you think you'd love paparazzi and like love the culture I'd be like oh yeah I'd love that like <laughs> I would think I'd be like a total Kardashian about it you know what I mean um and and when the reality of it hit I was like oh no yeah I don't want this <laughs> I don't want this at all um so I try to like stay away did from you have like actual bad experiences like being swarmed by them and stuff like that or was it just a little yeah I have I have um because I saw like I did this I, I did like Paris Jackson's mm. cover story and then there was this awful thing where she um like landed when the story came out it was just bad timing and uh, then she got like swarmed and I watched the video and it was like I just really really emphasized with her yeah. it was just it was just really empathized with her it was really awful yeah um so it, it, it kind of I mean I, I know and I've seen it actually I've I've seen it from a lot of angles, but that was the worst I've ever yeah. seen. So. I know. Well, the thing is, is every, there's always someone who has it worse than you. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just kind of part of it. You can let it control your life or you can ignore it. And I did let it control my life for a while. I mean, it's so funny doing this interview because this is my first time talking as like an established artist. Mm. All my old interviews are like, hey, I'm Halsey. You guys don't know me, but these are my songs. And now I'm like talking as someone like who has, I guess, like a presence or something. Um <laughs> And for a while, I was, like, really agoraphobic, like, outrageously agoraphobic, like, wouldn't leave my house. Like, if someone wouldn't go eat with me, I wouldn't eat all day because I didn't want to go to the grocery store alone. I didn't want to go to a restaurant alone. Postmates was, like, my best friend. But even then, I was scared to answer the door in case the delivery person, I don't know. I went through, like, a really bad phase. Because your circumstances had changed so dramatically, right? And so you're just grappling with that, I guess. And also, I went through a period where I just felt like everyone hated me. Yeah. So, like everyone hated me. I was like really self-conscious. Felt, like everyone hated me. Like mm. I was getting a lot of like heat online. I mean, I, my 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 big Rolling Stone story that we yeah. did. Um, it talks about like a really personal um, personal thing that I went through on tour last year. And I haven't really talked about it since, but I just feel like it only seems fitting that I bring it up again because there is something I want to say sure, about please. it. But I talked about um, experiencing a miscarriage on tour. Um, from an unplanned, unexpected pregnancy. Um, and I miscarried in the middle of a show unexpectedly. And uh, for like 
the next couple months after that, every time I signed onto the internet, there were people tweeting me pictures of like bloody fetuses Jesus and like Christ. baby body parts and stuff, and like telling me like you killed your baby, like in like just like tweeting me just like awful, gory, maniacal shit about it, and it was traumatizing. Like it was honestly traumatizing, um, of course. and I had to get thick skinned real quick. Um, I mean, we played a show in Toronto, and a couple kids came to the show and held up bloody baby dolls in the crowd. And, you know, I'm in the middle of my trying to do what I love and seeing that and being chastised for being honest about something that affects millions of women and you know often goes the reason I brought it up in the interview to begin with was because one I aligned with the writer um who had gone through the same experience. Totally. Alex, yeah. Yeah, she, she was incredible. I love her. Um, we really bonded in that experience. And also because, from in my perspective, so many like the stories about that I had heard in the press were like, it was like married couples who, you know, miscarried and they have a miracle baby later. It's never sure. like a scared 20-year-old girl. You know what I mean? And that's what I was, was a scared 20-year-old right. girl. But yeah, people were really evil to me about it. And I, I, it made me really scared and... Um, yeah. And really, like, just really frightened. Um, and uh, so so there was a period of time where I was, like, really scared of leaving the house. Um, but I've really settled, settled into my own now. Like, I really have. I have my friends, and I have people I surround myself with that I really like and stuff I love to do. And I like rock climbing, and I like cooking a lot. I mm. bake like crazy. Like, you follow me on Snapchat. Like, it's always me posting, like, weird <laughs> cupcakes and recipes I'm trying. And... Um, I love going to concerts. I go to concerts all the time. It's pretty much the only time you can really get me out and like drinking and partying as if I'm going to a concert. Um, so I've, I just, you know, it's all about developing routines and stuff that work for me and figuring out what makes me makes me happy. But honestly, what makes me the most happy is, is touring. Yeah. I love playing shows. I love making music. There's a reason I do this. It takes a certain kind of person to dedicate like literally 100, 110% of yourself to something. And I wouldn't do it if I didn't adore this. When I'm not on tour, I'm home tearing my hair out, just wishing I could be on a stage honestly yeah i love it so much people are are assholes by the way to to what you said that really sucks but uh, you know it's like a it's like a tiny percentage of people are that monstrous but those voices are the loudest yeah exactly fucking sucks um it's so the uh it does feel like you are done with closer it feels like that that the the closer era of halsey is probably probably over i think so it was a fun little experiment and i wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because it you know it it changed my career and made me lifelong friends and it it put me in a a position with that to have a new perspective and you know the successes that it brought me are are unprecedented literally um and so it's it's you know it's not something i would ever trade um but I'm ready to see other people, <laughs> I think. So how did you know when you were done with this record? Oh, it was so obvious. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote the I wrote this interlude, actually. I wrote the middle of the record last. Um, and it's it's a, uh, there's an interlude that's like in the meat of the middle of the album, and it kind of just surmises the whole concept. And like, as soon as I finished it, it was like, I was so proud of myself. I was like, I have visualized, like I've like realized my vision, like kind of, um, and as soon as I was done with that, I took off my my I took off my artist producer writer hat and put on my director screenwriter hat and wrote like these crazy video treatments and you know these videos I'm I'm co-directing and um, you know I'm like I said I'm a control freak so yeah. um, you know I went from having like a hundred emails a day about like mixes to having like a hundred emails a day about frame rates <laughs> so um, but uh, you know I'm just so proud of everything in in 
I just I just love that I get to do this. I love that I get to play around with all this. I have all this this budget and this money and these resources and these people and people who are excited about my vision and people I can say, you go here, you do this, you do this and like delegate all this amazing you know, people that are so excited to be involved and we all work really, really hard and want to die and tear our hair out so not get sleep. And then there's something that's going to live forever after it. And that like wonderment, that like that naivety and that like that bewilderment about how fortunate I am to get to create art is something that I didn't feel for a while because I was so tired. I was on tour. I was like transitioning and like I have this, this I've regained that sense of like wonderment, that sense of like, how lucky am I that I, someone is paying me to make art. Like that's sick. That's awesome. Like I love it. I was going to say, I mean, sometimes when people are making like their next album, they're often looking at the last album and being like, it was missing this and this, or like, I want to do this and this, like, like, yeah. How did, how did that work for you? If that was part of your thinking? Balance is pretty versatile because there's like songs that were dark, songs that were bright, songs that were, you know, it was, it was, it was really, um, it was a really versatile record and I wanted to achieve that same thing. Um, but you know, Badlands was its own, it was its own story, its own beast. It was kind of DIY. It was kind of like, it was authentic. It was personal. And I wanted this record to be shinier and meaner and like more <laughs> mature and like all that stuff. Um, and, 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 you know, what I did learn though was better ways to, to better execute a concept record. Um, and, and I learned what my fans like and what they don't like and what I can do to like plan like these guerrilla these guerrilla tactics that we use leading up to the record release where like you know there's twitter accounts for all the characters within the screenplay and like um, they all interact with each other and you can watch the story unfold in real time online um, which is just so exciting and you know there's like no I don't think anyone knows this yet but they might when this airs um, there's like Spotify profiles for um, the the characters so you can get a taste Holy of their shit, personality that's, and that's we're deep. Se- yeah, that's we're, deep that's we're smart yeah. we're sending Ju- Romeo and Juliet quotes to kids houses with like wax seals all like renaissance and doing these like secret listening events and like really creating this interactive environment and that's something that I really wanted to step my game up with on this mm-hmm. album is like reminding people that you know people think the album is dead People think that people don't buy albums anymore, and all I'm trying to prove is that you can still you can still get your albums to people. You just have to come up with creator, more creative entry points. People need to be able to enter your record and enter your world in a more creative way. Um, so you just gotta get you just gotta get smart about it, you know, and give them a reason to feel like they belong to it, feel like they own it, feel like it's theirs. Um, and that's what makes an album an album. That's why you love an album is because it's yours. And that's how I want every single person that's a dedicated fan of me to feel. You know, totally. Well, thanks so much for being here today. Thank can't, you. Can't wait to hear more. Oh yeah. So you've been listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt. Tune in next week at 1 p.m. on Volume to hear our next episode. In the meantime, download us as a podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.